Hello, I'm Dorian Linsky. And I'm Ian Dunn. We are the hosts of Origin Story, the podcast that unpacks the history behind the ideas, the people and the events that shape political discourse today. And we are back for season five. We're kicking off with a two-parter on George Orwell, the man, the work, the ideas. We follow him from Burma to Spain, through Second World War London, to the writing of his masterpieces Animal Farm and 1984, and how their legacy is used and misused today. That's Origin Story Season 5, coming now from anywhere you get your podcasts. Good evening, London. It's nine o'clock and this is the Voice of Fate, broadcasting on 275 and 285 on the medium wave. It is the 5th of the 11th, 1997. The weather will be fine until 12.07am when a shower will commence, lasting until 1.30am. The people of London are advised that the Brixton and Streatham areas are quarantine zones as of today. It is suggested that those areas be avoided for reasons of health and safety. Productivity reports indicate a possible end to meat rationing, starting from mid-February 1998. Police raided 17 homes in the Birmingham area this morning, uncovering what is believed to be a major terrorist ring. In a speech today, Mr Adrian Carell, Party Minister for Industry, stated that Britain's prospects are brighter than at any time since the last war. Mr Carell went on to say that it is the duty of every man to seize the initiative and make Britain great again. We remind you that tomorrow is the final date for the completion of your census forms. This is the Voice of Fate signing off. Have a pleasant evening. England prevails. Hello, I'm Dorian Linsky and that was Fergus Craig as the Voice of Fate from V for Vendetta. Fate is the omniscient computer that enables a fascist government to control a post-nuclear England in the classic dystopian fantasy written in the 1980s. V for Vendetta was made into an iffy movie, but the original graphic novel by Alan Moore and artist David Lloyd still holds up, and we'll be discussing it at the end of the show in the return of our Irregular Romaniacs book club. Its warnings about a fascist takeover in Britain are right back in focus. (laughs) Good news all round. Helping me with this and all the usual stuff about the mad riddle of Brexit are two of our regulars. Ian Dunt is the editor of politics.co.uk and that man you saw doing the papers on Sky News the other night where he managed to discuss football <laughs> and, seem, and seem like he knew what it was. <laughs> I mean, was that, did you have to do a lot of Googling beforehand? Or? No, I have. No, there was a little bit of that. Uh, that, was two nights, that was two nights. I had both England games. Immediately afterwards, I had to get up and talk. So that was sort of a total of two hours of football chat from me. Jesus Christ. It was pretty difficult, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and apart from loving the World Cup, you've been enjoying the British Chambers of Commerce Brexit Preparedness Scorecard this week. <laughs> what a which week co- it's been. Right now, which, of course, has had people jumping up and shouting out in pubs across the land. Um, what is it? Um, so this is the survey of you know where businesses think they are, what they need assurances on, um, the, the kind of information they would need from government before they could make sort of investment decisions and various other things before Brexit. Um, it is what it really is: is a long sheet of paper with an awful lot of red and orange on the side and absolutely no green on the side, which would indicate that this has actually been sorted out. So it's a pretty standard indication of the fact that there's no information. It's not surprising, but it is a stark visual metaphor for where we are. Also joining us in a personal capacity is Naomi Smith, Chief Operating Officer of Best for Britain. Hi, Naomi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit <laughs> you've, uh, you've had a week off. 
I wish I've had a four days. Four days of making the most of being able to go visaless to the EU. Uh, I was in Mallorca with my mummy, uh, swimming in the med when the news broke that a great white shark had been spotted <laughs> off the coast of Mallorca for the first time since the 70s. But I think it was probably just my thighs. <laughs> were, you, were you caning the, uh, the reasonably priced roaming? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I think I see where he's going with yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's go about on. Brexit. <laughs> Take a slender in. I took a thing that was about another thing and made it a thing about Brexit. Um, how's the campaign for a people's vote uh, going? There's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk. Even even Len McCluskey uh, had a sort of yeah. half a kind word to say about he it. He did, didn't he? I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of say that he was entirely on board yet. Um, but basically, uh, this week the Unite um, conference passed an executive motion that leaves open the option for backing a people's vote on the table uh, for them, which is a very good thing. So effectively, they still would much prefer to have a general election, but they haven't completely uh, closed off this potential to have a people's vote. Um, but perhaps the more interesting Labour news on that side of things um, is the momentum petition calling for a vote on the Brexit deal, which is now quite close to reaching the 4,000 signatures um, required for them to sort of trigger um, a ballot um, to uh, have the people's vote debated at the Labour conference in September. So pressure really mounting uh, on Corbyn to be the, the hero who can save us from Brexit. Is there any time limit on the 4,000? A good question. I don't know. I think there must be, but it, it got up to well over three and three a half, and half thousand yeah. yesterday, so I'm assuming they'll get there this week. Because Corbyn manages to ignore the wishes of the majority of Labour members and voters... Um, <laughs> would he be able to ignore the wishes of Unite and Momentum? No. But, I mean, there's always a risk that, that you trigger that kind of uh, a process happening because you get the 4,000 signatures. That means that they can have a campaign and, and, and debate it. And, of course, then that wakes up the other side and the Lexiteers who may then pull out all the stops to try and defeat you. But mm. I think, on balance, it's still broadly worth doing. It's just about getting them into the position for the autumn stuff that we're always talking about, rather than getting them yeah. there necessarily right yeah, now. You can't fatten the car for market day. Exactly that, yeah. exactly yeah. Good, good, good. I like your Dorian when you're ill. It's like just like normal Dorian, but slower and with no. a deeper voice. <laughs> Sadder. <laughs> but the good news is we have a very special guest on the show today. Uh, comedian and actor Ingrid Oliver has appeared in Peep Show, Plebs, 2012 and Lead Balloon, among other things. She's one half of the comedy duo Watson and Oliver. Last year, her solo show in Edinburgh. Speech! Do you have to say it like that? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Looks at what's happening to political opinion after the Brexit referendum. And she's possibly best known as Osgood from Doctor Who, the unit scientist and hopeless fangirl of the Doctor who tends to cosplay as various past Doctors in the show, of no interest whatsoever to our producer, Andrew. Who's <laughs> 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 never even seen the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only reason I'm here, let's face it. <laughs> Hi, Ingrid. Welcome to Romania. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, unlike most of our guests uh, who have to be badgered into it, you actually asked to be on the show. This is really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm slightly embarrassed by this. I, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, well, I know Sophie, who does your, your sort of sound editing. Um, and she told me she was doing your podcast and I was, I was a big fan. So I said, just get me on it. <laughs> and then, and weirdly, another friend I think knows Ian. And then I think there was a two-pronged attack that happened at the same time. And I, I, I really wasn't that strident about it, but it just it, it looked like I was. You need to use, so kind of, slightly, you yeah. use a strategic ingenuity for the Brexit negotiations. Like, yeah. Two-pronged attack is like two or three levels above what they're capable of in government. There so. we go. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I, I'm slightly, I feel slightly sheepish. I don't really give a shit about this podcast, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> didn't even really want to do it. So, yeah. Do, thanks you, mind, for do me. you mind if we leave the EU? Uh, <laughs> well, it's either that. way. Yeah. Oh, God, is that what this is about? <laughs> shit, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> and and on, the, on the range of kind of like soft Brexit, I'll take a soft Brexit to, uh, to hard remain, go down fighting. Where, where are you on that? Oh, I, I, I sort of vacillate. I, I, I've been so anti, um, anti the whole thing. I refuse to entertain anything other than a total capitulation <laughs> of, of the Brexiters and, uh, and, and that we have a second, second referendum. And I don't even want to, at this point, I don't even want to if we have a second referendum, even if they vote <laughs> to say, yeah, we're leaving the EU. Like, no, no, third <laughs> referendum. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I... Yeah, I do. No, I do oscillate between just going. I just like to have more of a debate about it, and then if once having had more of a debate, if if we then still decide to leave, then that's that's fair enough. Mm. Um, Wouldn't it be nice if we had a debate? You know, that, that I think that's oh, what yeah. a, lot, a lot of people in the People's Vote movement are pushing for. It's that you know, last time it was this sort of phony war because we didn't know what we were voting on, and this time we would because there would be a deal. So there then could be a proper debate and no allegations of Project Fear because it would be the reality of what's yeah. on the table. Exactly. It's a nice idea, isn't it? That Pop we could be bay. grown up. Yeah. I wonder if they'll say Project Fear anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect it might come up. <laughs> Ingrid, you're um, half German. What does the, the German side what, think? What does the German side of family think? Um, I mean, my, my dad was devastated after Brexit, and he actually he got persuaded my brother and myself to get uh, apply for our German passports, and he sort of he, uh, provided us with all the documentation, because I was born in Germany, and so was my brother. He sent us all the, the necessary documents, and then within about five minutes, I'd gone to the German embassy and got my passport. So I was thrilled, almost cried, because um, it meant I could, not that I ever will, but I, I was like, I can now move to Bir- Bir- Birmingham. I can, <laughs> I can now move to Birmingham. Um, I can now move to Berlin. Spain and open up a fish and chip shop. Not that I will ever do that, but for some reason, the, the fact that I could has seemed important to me. Um, but yeah, I, I'm one of those citizens of, of nowhere. Where I, I, I was born in Germany. Mm. I, lived in Germany a lot and I studied Italian at university I lived in Italy for a year and um, so I don't feel I don't feel strongly enough about the nationhood um, of Britain to fight for the symbol of Britain that we were fighting for and why we were leaving the EU I, did, I just don't I didn't buy into it at all so you're a fifth columnist basically I don't know what that is <laughs> that's what I would say yeah like a, like a yeah I am deep a, a, a deep cover saboteur yes yes okay thank just, you just I'll check. take it yeah 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 didn't even know what it was <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like me uh, we saw you can make the people's vote march which is fine because you're visiting your brother who's, who's had to move to Spain yeah this is, is I, I was also uh, in the EU last week uh, on ho- well I wasn't on holiday I was, yeah, I, was, I was looking after I had to look after my brother's children because uh, he's at work He's had to move to Spain because the French-American company that he was working for in Newcastle uh, closed their plant. Uh, because now, if you in the press, they claim it wasn't to do with Brexit, but there was a, a whistleblower who said it absolutely was, and that was a massive part in influencing the decision to leave and close the plant in Newcastle. I think about 400 people uh, lost their jobs and moved to the plant in Barcelona. Um, so yeah, that's why I, I missed the ironically well, missed the people's you know, march. Barcelona might be out soon as well. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, very good point. Yeah. Well, they have actually been there with, with all, all the, the banks have moved out yeah. of Barcelona into Madrid now. It's really interesting being there with all the with all the flags, the, the, mm. the sort of Catalan flags. You there is definitely it mm. is re- reminiscent of uh, mm. of what we've just been. Where through, are all the banks going to end up? Where is the safest place in Europe? 
He absolutely will never leave. It's Frankfurt, obviously, but the trouble is it doesn't have much capacity. Um, so even in terms of schooling, in terms of housing, in terms of like the actual stuff you can do with the financial services there, there's not much capacity. So then the other, other options, you go somewhere like sort of Paris or even sort of Dublin or something like that. But ultimately, if you really want to guarantee, 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 you go to Frankfurt, it's just there's no space. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, we'll be looking at Theresa May's exciting third solution to the customs mess. Will it be enough to avert Tory Ragnarok at Chequers <laughs> this weekend? The NHS's contingency plans for a no-deal Brexit. And of course, the arrival, not a moment too soon, of the real voice of Brexit Britain. St. Danny of Dyer, who spoke for England this week when he described Brexit as a mad widow and David Cameron as a twat. All this and more after these exciting announcements. Tickets for Romaniacs Live in London on Wednesday the 12th of September are shifting like hot Irish passports. Hurry up or you might miss out and you don't even need a granny from Donegal to get one. We are live on stage at the Leicester Square Theatre on 12th of September and there will be a full programme of Brexit analysis with me, Ian Dorian and Roz Taylor plus questions from the audience, poor quality Brexit humour and exclusive merchandise. We may even sneak off for a pint with the audience afterwards. Tickets are now on sale at leicestersquaretheatre.com, but of course our much-valued supporters on the crowdfunding platform Patreon got first dibs and a discount too. If you become a Patreon backer now, you will also get that discount on tickets, plus those fashion-forward Romaniacs t-shirts, statement-making mugs and swanky tote bags. Visit patreon.com slash RomaniacsCast to find out more. That's Romaniacs Live at Leicester Square Theatre, Wednesday the 12th of September. Tickets on sale now at leicestersquaretheatre.com. Thanks, Naomi. Before we get started on the news, Vote Leave will be formally accused of breaking election spending rules this week. Vote Leave spiked the story by leaking the Electoral Commission findings on Wednesday at midnight when the country was still going berserk over England winning the penalty shootout, and they used the BBC to get their version out. This seems a bit irregular, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's not people don't usually do this. Um, usually when you've been accused of something, they get quite nervous and defensive rather than just putting it out there. I have to say, I... You know, it's not often that I say this. I think it's, it's kind of a stroke of genius, really. Because if you notice the timing, they wait for the football. As the football is happening, they then decide to leak it themselves, which allows them to put their spin on it at the second that it takes place. You're not waiting for a press release from the Electoral Commission that comes in with an embargo on it as a journalist. But then you get a second press release from these guys. This is really, really canny media management. So, I mean unusual but i have to be uh, you know if, if, if i was working in the press department somewhere i'd be like we should take a look at what these guys are doing because i have to say this is a very sensible way of going about it the part where you rig a referendum to destroy your country i'm not so keen on but the, 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 the media response to that they, they have done quite well and um i mean obviously the usual suspects uh, on the kind of the the hard remain end um have been sort of calling into question the legitimacy of the result that doesn't seem like something that's going to sort of fly with the public or even legally, what's what's the best thing that, that we can hope for? It's a sort of it's a sort of spillage, isn't it? A spillage of sort of lack of credibility. It's not. Oh, I'm going to mix my metaphors all over the place here, but it's not like a smoking gun of like you know the whole thing is completely no. illegitimate. It isn't that. No. Realistically, we're talking about fairly minor things, relatively minor. But ultimately, the rules are there, and they broke the rules. So what you got to say is, you know, th- this yep. is a technically an illegal you know campaign in, in the way that it operated. However, that. There's a lot of steps between that and it's not a legitimate result. And I suspect 
quite strongly that they could have still won this yeah. campaign without that. We come back and back and back again to that core point that we always have to make on this thing, which is just you do not get this many people voting for a massive destabilization of the status quo unless there is something wrong with the status quo. And you cannot address that without saying, what are you going to do about the status quo to change it if this is not the answer? So it's, it's, we can't escape into just saying it's all illegitimate. Yeah. However, it is a spillage, a sort of a taint on that legitimacy. So like voters just blame everyone. They just they, they think that everyone was at it, everyone was cheating. So this just doesn't cut through with voters that, that one side cheated even more than the other. It just doesn't really work or shift public opinion much at all, which is kind of back to what Ingrid was mentioning at the start around uh, having a uh, second vote properly on a you know on a on a, a proper proper debate because we didn't have it last time um, and I think a different kind of campaign absolutely needs to be run next time round so that it, it feels much more fair that there are much more clear uh, boundaries about what can and can't be spent during an election but it period. shows how corrosive cynicism is um, that when you've got go oh well everyone lies therefore the bigger lies are the same as the smaller lies. Yeah, it is. Oh, everybody's crooked. Yeah. Therefore, the actual breaches of electoral yeah. law yeah. are as bad as anything, you yeah. know, only as but, bad as anything remained it. But it's the status quo point about the status quo being broken because we, you know, and this is another thing we talked about on the podcast probably far too many times, <laughs> is that, you know, you, we've, we've had too many politicians lie and let us down repeatedly for decades so that the, the, the system was broken, the faith in everybody yeah. wasn't there and that's why it was a kick against that establishment that had self-served. Anyway, moving on, it's crunch week for May and the Tories again, but it's looking increasingly <laughs> unlikely that the clash between Mogg's hard Brexiters and pragmatic Tory compromises can be put off any longer. On Friday, when you're probably listening to this show, May will stage a cabinet lock-in, not the fun kind, to finally thrash out the government's position on customs, a mere two years after the Leave vote. May has promised a new secret third way that will give Britain the best of both worlds. Neither the Brexiters' high-tech fancy of MaxFac, nor the customs partnership advocated by Tory moderates. Unfortunately, EU sources who'd seen a draft said it was unrealistic. <laughs> and Laura Kunzberg at the BBC suggested it might not even exist yet, uh, which would make it very unrealistic. <laughs> Instead of calming the endless Tory civil war, this provoked another orgy of infighting with the evil European research group issuing a letter featuring eight red lines and exasperated Remain Tories like Alan Duncan attacking Mogg's insolence in pushing the Prime Minister around. So, Ian, what, what are we guessing is this exciting third way? Fuck knows. Um, so there's, I mean, because it doesn't make any sense for there to be a third way because the, the stuff on the customs partnership is about doing things on the border. So you then don't have to do it when it crosses over, you know, the Irish border, right? So you do it at the, the end of the UK. So therefore it can just shift into the EU on the other side. So you wouldn't want to be fixing one problem in one location. The idea of the first option is to fix a problem in one location so that you don't have to fix it in the second. So if you were to do a bit of both, you're just doubling the original problem. If the solution then were to be to use all the max fact, the magic sci-fi unicorn stuff on the border, at the external border of the UK, you're sort of tripling the problem because you've taken all of this unproven technology and applied it to an area that the EU already thinks is incredibly sensitive. So there's really, it's quite hard to see how an amalgamation of these things would work. It is possible that all of the trade experts we've heard from from the last two years are completely wrong and that someone in Downing Street is a trade and strategic genius who has invented some kind of solution to this thing. But at the moment, I would suggest that there's not enough evidence to suggest that that would be the case. Naomi, are the Tory Ramonas getting, um, losing patience, whatever patience they may have had with, with Mogg and the ERG? I mean, obviously, they, they bottled their rebellion against the mm. withdrawal bill. But, I mean, this letter really did seem to inflame them because you, you do have here a bunch mm. of fanatics acting like they run the government. Mm. I mean, it does, though, to me, all feel a little bit sort of sucky-uppy. 
like oh look you explain that technical well, term like look 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 <laughs> mummy prime minister you know we we're disloyal but we're not as disloyal as them you know it's sort of it's, it's this sort of horrible <laughs> culture that's that's going on there but the tory remainers do seem to be wanting to flex their muscle a bit more um and even the government um is sort of shifting away off, away from that shtick about no deal is better than a a bad deal um and we're hearing that they're telling the brexiteers that no deal is not an option and that if they don't accept what they consider to be a bad deal then you know the UK likely won't be leaving the EU um, at all and you know if that is true if they are really saying all of that um, then why have they spent the last two years campaigning for all the sort of fantasy bullshit red white and blue Brexit mm. stuff um, that has made compromising that is required to actually get a deal uh, so much harder. The thing is, it, uh, my, I, what I suspect is their third plan is not really a third plan in terms of what you're going to do with customs. It's a third plan in terms of how are you going to convince people to come on with one side on the British position. Now, their argument there seems to be to the hard Brexiters, if you don't go for our compromise, there's a chance that it's going to be no Brexit or an extension of Article 50. Mm -hmm. And they're saying to the remainder parts mm -hmm. of the cabinet, look, if you don't get on this compromise, then it's going mm -hmm. to be no deal. Yeah. And that kind of terrifying people at the margin seems to be the strategy now. That I think that's a pretty effective mm. strategy for the Conservative Party right now. If you ask Theresa May, that's the most mm. sensible argument you could possibly make. It's not that my ideas are very good. It's that if you don't back them, the guys further to the other side than you will sign up to them. And that could work, you know, to try and get them on board with one proposition, mm. which then goes to Europe and is invariably rejected. Because yeah. they've already rejected the two we've got, they, they would reject yeah. this third one as well. You, I mean, you, you, you mentioned unproven technology earlier. It's, it's uninventive. I mean, it like, is. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't it exist. Doesn't yeah, exist. it literally doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist on the face yeah. of the planet or in the history yeah. of man. Yeah. yeah. I think what, what's encouraging is it sounds, to me at least, this latest development sounds slightly like there is a move towards compromise rather than. It sounds like she's she's no longer get Theresa May is no longer going. Oh God! If the Brexiters won't like this, and so I can't do it, and so uh, she's not listening to those people. Well, she's she's trying to put, you know, uh, she's trying to get them in line somehow. Mm. I, I was watching the England game last night. It really, the Colombian. It really reminded me of them when the Colombians sort of harangued the referee before the penalty was given. <laughs> it was before anything had been decided. They were like, "No referee! What the fuck?" They get really getting in someone's face, which is, strikes me. What Reese Morgan, all that they've been doing uh, thus far, before anything has been decided, it's like, "If you do that, I swear to God, <laughs> there's going to be consequences." And she's finally now, unlike the referee last night, she's she's red. Hopefully, getting out some red cards. Mm. Um, mm. Hopefully, a nice bit of football analogy there. Yeah, um, that was topical. Thank yeah. you. I just yeah, I feel like she's slightly strengthening. Uh, the Rosner her back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Her, her thing now is, is is timing, right? So we've just had June Summit. Now, this whole time, we thought the June Summit would be the last time that there was any kind of sort of real content negotiation that would be going on. Now we got through it. No one even mentioned, really, Brexit, apart from a few dismissive shrugs, and it was all about the EU zone problems, mm. because there was no position of the British mm. government, because there was no consistency around the cabinet table. So now, whatever proposal she goes for, we know that they will reject it. We know that the only things that are on offer from the EU are fully EA and Customs Union membership, Norway Plus is like the shorthand for that, or you would have an FTA, which is what we call Canada, but however, you know, with, 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 with the Irish backstop sort of connected onto the side of it. Those are the only two offers. So it's either that or no deal according or, to Europe. Or stay in, and I think they still or, would I agree. allow us to I agree. do that. So I, I think we're free, that. and let's, let's never forget that. We are mm. still full members of the EU until the end of March. No, I agree. It's all I, still to play for. It's not even clear that they could stop us if we wanted to, mm. to be honest. I mean, there's legal uncertainty yeah. around that, but it's possible we could just unilaterally decide to do that. So then what happens when they reject this offer? Because her plan would be, what if they take two or three weeks? Now, two or three weeks in the kind of in the place that we're at right now, given how much time is going to be taken for holiday, given that the last six months of this process goes off beyond negotiation, is a lot of time. And that could keep the thing chugging on a little more. So when they then reject it, 
suddenly you get back to very, very stark choices for the British government once again, for Parliament once again. You get back to the area of, well, do we take the very, very soft Brexit deal or do we take no deal at all? And suddenly the parliamentary arithmetic mm. starts churning in, in a much more interesting do direction. You get, I mean, Theresa May is not uh, a, a woman of great steel, it would appear. But mm. is she, when she's, when this is this endless bullshit, these ridiculous hysterical letters from the fanatics, Michael Gove being sort of big man <laughs> on campus and kind of ripping up a customs like, report like, do you think, with his bare hands. Do we, do we think he had to have, so, I think it took a while. Did he have to have a few goes in? Yeah. <laughs> or, a go? I think he did. or was it so thin it just sort of broke I think, I think he asked for it to be printed on, on, on rice paper. Pre-torn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre-torn. <laughs> with a perforated strip. <laughs> okay, there. But I mean, she must be getting she must be getting sick of this. I mean, she's because she is by nature, and apart from immigration, where she's very, very hawkish and awful, mm. I mean, in many ways, she's she's sort of fairly moderate of temperament. And surely, if every day you feel like you're being held to ransom by a bunch of, as John Major would say, bastards, Hmm. you know, at some point, do you think she's ever going to sort of put her foot down or is is it just not in her nature to... I just can't see. I don't even... She's got this character. She's so easy to read, and maybe you know it's some kind of double bluff, but I don't think it is. Like if it, it just minutes ago, like an hour ago, during PMQ, she got asked a tough Brexit question by Edward Lee on the backbenches, and she seemed to almost tremble as she was responding to him. Mm. If you look at that video she put out once she got the withdrawal bill stuff, it looked like honestly like she was in a hostage video and she was being mm. told what to read. Actually, petrified. And I don't think that's fake. I mean, I think that is she, she is a prime minister that you can see the reality of her personality on her face. And the, and the truth is, actually, it, the steel stuff feels like an, the, the way she tried to project herself, especially at the beginning, seems like an overcompensation for a character that does seem to struggle with this conflict, particularly when it comes from the right of the party. Yeah. OK, let's move on and cry God for Danny Dyer, England and St. George. <laughs> Who knows about Brexit? No one has got a fucking clue what Brexit is. 40-year-old actor, geezer about town and clearly a non-Romaniacs listener told ITV's Good Evening Britain. You watch Question Time, it's comedy. No one knows what it is. It's like this mad riddle. And what's happened to that twat Cameron who brought it on? I'm really not doing justice to the, to the words here. How come he can scuttle off? He's in Europe, in Nice, with his trotters up. Where is the geezer? I think he should be held accountable for it. Fantastic pause. And then twat. <laughs> um, anyway, this was obviously a very moving and powerful soliloquy. Yes. Um, that, that an acting student should certainly be, should be using in future. Why do you think it became such a, a thing? Because it went viral super fast. It was such a... It was so simply put. It was like a nugget, a beautiful nugget that penetrated all the noise and the, and the many, many words around Brexit. And I think no one had quite phrased it in that obviously no one had quite phrased it in that way but it was um, it was also the beauty of Jeremy Corbyn sort of watching on and Piers Morgan and Pamela Anderson it was very very surreal but I it's funny because I I very much I I very strongly believe what quite early on I was like David Cameron is totally responsible for this I hate him and he's just walked away and and I was very anti-Cameron and, and sort of laid it all at his door um, so I totally understand that but I, I've I've slightly moved, moved I've slightly moved on from that I think now that I, it's it obviously that it's a series of, of events that happened it's not entirely David Cameron's fault but the just I love well Danny Dyer wasn't concerned with nuance uh, and and it just went he just he just went straight for for the twat um, and <laughs> there's something very satisfying about that because the um, the the gotcha which I think maybe Ian Dale attempted was like ah but Danny Dyer voted leave and it's like yeah. yes that's the, the point, point. Yeah. <laughs> he voted remain <laughs> he wouldn't be surprised he's going this is the thing I voted for and it doesn't make sense and 
David Cameron's a twat and nobody understands what's going on. That's worse for Leave mm. because he voted Leave. I mean, that is exactly the attitude from Leave voters that Remain campaigners have been aiming to get to this entire time. Yeah. You know, so no, it's very good. He's—I I find his language incredibly ele- elegant, actually. Like, I, I kind of prefer. Well, for you, I mean compared to you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, at, at least. <laughs> Half the number of expletives in a normally undone sentence, right? Okay, but he's but he's cleverer with the language. Like I love the. I, I thought he called it a mad wiggle at the beginning, and I much preferred no. that. <laughs> I, I would have rather. It just felt like it was more intuitive as to how it feels. But then Riddle works terribly well. That makes sense. The, the trotters thing with his trotters is profoundly up. funny. The gammon. It's a gammon reference, and he didn't even know but it. But also, yeah, and a pig's head. And reference. a pig's head went absolutely. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> it does. It is. Yeah. I mean, I actually genuinely think his language there was very, very impressive indeed, and his comic time was pretty much perfect but it's quite I mean the fact that Corbyn was on there as well yeah. I mean don't forget Pamela as well um, pa- that was a crucial part of the whole, whole I thing. don't know whether my expectations for Pamela Anderson are as high though <laughs> but it was kind of with obviously Corbyn and I believe any to be honest not just him I think any other politician would have been kind of sort of dancing around it and you could see mm. him kind of gazing with sort of fascination mm. just like he just sort of says. Yeah. He's just saying <laughs> stuff. But, like, where have all our leaders gone? Yeah. You know, he, Danny Dyer was saying something that almost all MPs in Parliament know to be true, apart from the bit about being in Nice, because I think he's actually in America. But <laughs> hardly anyone has spoken Fact out. Checking Dyer. You know, hashtag fake, fake news on the Nice bit. Um, but, you know, no, hardly anyone has spoken out about it. And, you know, that, the same goes for the CEOs and chairman of the FTSE 250 and, you know, heads of all of the country's major employers and trade bodies and the unions and vice chancellors. But no, no, no. We've had to wait for Danny Dyer. <laughs> to deliver us from evil and lead us on the path of righteousness. But it produced the fantastic headline, which I didn't read the piece because it was on Spiked, and why would you? With the Spiked headline, Why Danny Dyer is Wrong About Brexit. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you're just like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to write that. <laughs> but I think, I, think he, he, I think he feels... Like I, you know, like I do. A like, lot of people do, which is betrayed by the fact that the person who ostensibly got us into this mess then just fucked off. Mm. And I have been waiting for somebody to come in like a white knight, uh, uh, you know, Deus Ex Machina, to help us out of this mess. And I've been. I think that's why. That's where the frustration comes from for me. It's it's that thing of surely someone at some point has got to go, guys. No, no, no. This is a really bad idea. And I, you know, I thought it might be Gina Miller at one point. I thought this she's going to do it. And then and then and then, you know. People like Tony Blair pop up, and, and I'm David Miliband. I'm still holding out for him. Um, that you just you have this you have this hope that someone's going to come and stop it all, and uh, and, and it's not happening. And well, that's, that's what's why terrifying. I think I've become more direish <laughs> about this. But you know, become sort of more sort of hard, hard remain because if you are if you are actually looking for solutions, if you're looking at the facts on the ground, mm. um, the inability of anybody to come up with an actual plan. It's like, okay, I didn't like the decision that was made. I would, I would, I know, feel differently if there was a good plan. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason mm, I mm, voted Remain is because mm. I didn't think there could ever be, be one. Yeah. 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 But just imagine if there was. And that's, I think, he was expressing that sort of frustration mm. of whichever way you voted, yeah. you do at least want to think that there's a massive thing that is being done to the country with God knows what uh, consequences there's at least an idea, and the way that they're kind of dicking around before they go on their kind of like bonding weekend, and they're like, there might be a third option, or mm. there might not be, and you're just yeah. like, Jesus Christ, get a grip. <laughs> it's hard to say because I do understand that that 
obviously they are under intense scrutiny and no one knew the answer. What, you know, when, when we voted to leave, I mean, it's like, I, it's, it must be like, I can't imagine being prime minister at this time. I, being, you know, Theresa May being the Brexit prime minister. To have to deal with this shit, I mean, I cannot even imagine. It's like that, that fairground game, was it whack-a-mole, when something, something raises its head, you whack it, and then it comes up, something comes up, and rat comes up somewhere else, and you whack that, and it just goes on forever. And so you think you've solved one problem, and another one comes up, and it's just interminable. And I think, um, you know, with the media scrutiny, they are, in, they are under pressure every day to say what their plan is to, to, to sort of give us some idea of what's going on I think it's hard, it's, it's obviously much more complex than that and I, I bet Theresa May the personality that she is, is I don't think she loves the media, uh, <laughs> would love to just be left alone and be able to read all the doc- read, read, read everything that she needs get, get her mm-hmm. advice and get input and make rational, quite calm decisions but with, with our you know, mm. and and you know, podcast like yourself, um, putting pressure on the people to tell us to give us to give us information. It's hard because once you put something out there, then a million people go, "Well, that's absolute nonsense," and then you go, oh, "Shit!" And then you look incompetent. Mm. Um, not that I'm saying there shouldn't be scrutiny. Of course, there should be, but I, I do recognise it's a it's an impossible. But, but people impossible. aren't providing the scrutiny. If only were the media providing the level of scrutiny that ought to happen were the opposition an mm. effective opposition and pro- providing the scrutiny and yet it's partly why we have this podcast because of course feel like there just wasn't and also of, of course lots of the red lines that she says on herself if you think all the way back to when she first mentioned stuff like the european court of justice mm. which nobody was talking about up until then was a product of the lack of scrutiny there was labor MPs coming out going well we absolutely have to leave the single market and blah blah, blah because of immigration they hadn't bothered to think about what that would entail there was no one in the media who were pointing out what the complications were she came out she did that speech i remember being around the bbc the days after that and there was editors going like well actually I've been telling some of my stuff you know you guys have got to calm down because mm. this might not look good, so good later on at the moment everyone was praising her like she was you know mm. Boudicca had mm. come back mm. to life and was you know fighting against the Romans again so you sort of think like the, the, the negotiation posture is ineffective because of the lack of scrutiny that we had really early on in the process I have to say of all the people I blame I mean irrelevant footnote to fucking history that he is I have to say David Cameron is pretty low down the list because at the point that he actually resigned, I thought, well, at least there's a modicum of honour to what you're doing right now. I don't really see how he could have stuck around after being, you know, taking this message to the public saying, I want you to vote for this. This is the deal that I've got. And they say no. You know, I don't think Theresa May's got that honour. When she did exactly the same process in general elections, she stuck around. But the only nice thing I think I've ever said about him will be now, which is to say that actually I think when he stepped down, it was the right thing. It would have been inconceivable that he would have stuck around for it. So actually, I should say on the content of Danny Dyer's argument, I'm not so keen, but on the amount that he says twat, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) (laughs) Finally on the news front The NHS is all very nice when you need to put it on the side of a bus to win a referendum When it starts messing with Brexit It needs to pipe down It emerged this week that the NHS is drawing up plans To ensure that it doesn't run out of medicine In the event of a no-deal Brexit Medicine being quite important to the NHS (laughs) The reversal of its position last October 37 million medicine packs arrive in Britain from EU each month and the pharmaceutical industry is concerned about border delays. Meanwhile, recruitment of EU nurses is down 90% since the referendum. Nurses also quite important. (laughs) And last week, the BMA endorsed a people's vote on the final deal, saying Brexit would be bad for Britain's health. Health probably being the major point (laughs) of the National Health Service. The result, of course, the mail attacked them for defying the will of the patients who don't want medicine, nurses or health... I would like to die for Britain. <laughs> um, so, Naomi, this is like team people's vote. Now it's the uh, the doctors on side. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, talk about doctors offering a second opinion. Uh, I think this is a first opinion. 
Um, so like last time it was some kind of like you know general pain in the backside, uh, but only now do we absolutely know that it's piles um, <laughs> and and the first time diagnosis possible. Uh, yeah, but obviously they're they're experts. So mm. that's a strike against them. Mm. I mean, we have the the mail has just it's just become. I mean, I know I mean go to the mail. It's very easy. Mm. But I mean, just the sheer kind of like howling id of this thing, which is just like <laughs> shut up every time someone says something. Don't listen to them. It doesn't matter how well liked or well informed yeah. or trustworthy. It's just like shut up, pillow over the face, <laughs> stop talking. It's sort of, again, I suppose the, the, the degradation, the absolute degradation of discourse mm. in this country. Mm. Um, so now even doctors are bad. You like doctors, Ingrid. Wow. <laughs> that was quite the segue. Yeah. 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 With a capital D, so that was the... I yes. like it. He would almost certainly have been a Remainer. <laughs> of that, I am sure. Free movement. I'm going to get... So, oh, my God, you're going to get so many letters now. From, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows no. that. No, he'd be very neutral, but he'd definitely be Remain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are you worried about uh, getting enough medicine? I mean, you look very no, well. No, fine, fine about it. Um, I, I mean, you can go and get it in the EU. She's got a German passport. Well, exactly. This right. is my dad. Oh, my my, my top-notch German. My dad and my dad did actually say to me like, on the phone a couple of weeks ago. He's like, "You've please moved to Germany because the because of the health service." And I was like, "Well, I'm. I mean, I'm." I've just turned 41, so I, th- I should be, hopefully be all right for another 40 years or so. Um, not a reason to leave England quite yet. But, um, I mean, yeah, that, w- the, the stuff with the... Was it the ASA, the European... The ATOM, the mm. agency with all the... You know, with cancer treatment being in uh, jeopardised, which seems like a fairly major... Uh, a fairly major thing. Um, ironically, in, in my Edinburgh show last year, I did a Brexit sketch, which I still maintain is one of the one of the most seminal, seminal uh, sketches on Brexit <laughs> that has ever been performed. I'll do it for you later. Um, um, it's in German. Um, yeah, I, you know, the whole question of Brexit, I compared to being asked whether cancer treatment, it, being, like being asked mm. as a nation whether, mm. whether treatment A or treatment mm. B was better for cancer. I was like, I'm not a fucking oncologist. Mm. I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, ask some experts. Um, but yeah, if doctors are saying it's bad... Uh, and people that the, the 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 nice the people that come out and saying it's bad the people that I I trust I'm on their side, and the people who are saying it's good are the Russians. So I, it's like who do who do you want to align yourself with? I, the doctors or, or Russians? I think that all the kind of hardcore leavers though should, in, in the interest of consistency, refuse to listen to anything that their doctors mm. say. So mm. they go, well, you need to come in for an emergency operation. And then just go. Don't you tell me what to do. You yeah. to do. I've had quite enough of experts. Yeah. I'm going home. Like, be consistent. Listen to doctors or don't listen yeah. to them. We interviewed um, at Best Britain yesterday somebody who runs a, a charity raising money to cure very rare disease in children. Uh, and she likes to look at the world as uh, split into two people who have a diagnosis and people who don't. And she says the people who don't just don't yet have a diagnosis or you know, a member of their family doesn't yet. And that, that, that her appeal to leavers is that, you know, at some point you will have a diagnosis and then you'll be very cross that clinical trials are not going to be able to happen mm-hmm. in the UK anymore. Um, you need, when you're, when you're researching cures and treatments, you have to be able to share patient data. Uh, and at the moment, we're able to share that 
freely across the EU and she's been funding through her charity research in many, many different EU countries and being able to you know, bring talented people over to the specialist units at Great Ormond Street and Newcastle to, to look into this. And, and all of that is stopping now. Um, they're, they're really struggling to recruit uh, the kinds of um, medics that can do that work and their funding is, is not, no longer going to be matched. You know, they'd, they'd raise several million for the first phase of a trial and the EU funded the second phase to the tune of, I think, 14 million. You know, that's all going. Um, and so, you know, her appeal to people is, you know, just th- think about you and when you are 40 <laughs> years <laughs> older than you are now, Ingrid, and and, um, and 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 facing those consequences. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is untold, the damage that it's going to do if, to our health. If there was, if on the, on, the, on the leave side, if there was just someone going, yes, that might be true, but look at all these brilliant things that are going to happen once we leave Brexit, then I would be absolutely willing to entertain the idea that it, mm. it isn't a terrible idea. But I there's just nothing coming from the other side. It, it just does seem like a leap, of, a leap into the dark, going, OK, it might be shit for a bit. Mm. We're saying that, I think they're saying like five to ten years is getting, well, just it's going to take at mm. least five to ten years before mm. everything is, is in place for us to leave if we do leave. Uh, and things like that may be irrevocably, just, just damaged beyond repair. Or we'll be able to somehow uh, t- to save it. But why put ourselves through that? Why put ourselves through the risk of that? That's because what I don't Polish understand. Plumbers. Because of Polish plumbers, mm. yeah. Rapacious little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. As you've been hearing throughout the show, our special guest this week is Ingrid Oliver, comedian, actress and 24-carat Romaniac. As well as appearing in numerous comedies and dramas, Ingrid played the ill-fated Petronella Osgood on Doctor Who, hence my very clever Doctor Who references earlier, <laughs> where she was vaporised by Missy the Master and then came back as her own Zygon duplicate. It, it says here. Yeah, <laughs> all of that is true. Um, in that story, the Zygons were alien refugees hiding among the humans. Was... Uh, was that a kind of reference? This is pre-Brexit, so it was okay. Yeah. But was that a was there a kind of message there about how we treat refugees and so on? It was actually a very moving episode. I, it was a very moving episode. It was about. Uh, it sort of culminated in a, in a massive speech by the Doctor. Yeah, it was about aliens living in our society and how they're being treated very badly um, by that society and uh, you know propaganda propaganda that we have seen in, in certain campaigns in this country sort of slightly demonising a- demonising aliens. I'm doing aliens in, in air quotes, but immigrants basically. Yeah. Um, and at the end uh, Peter Capaldi uh, uh, the Doctor or Malcolm Tucker as I like to think of him um, <laughs> gives a very moving speech about 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 you know the way we treat each other, and and uh, I cried. I actually cried during oh. the filming of it, even though I wasn't supposed to, because um, he did it so brilliantly. And uh, we actually had, and we also had on set that day the the American ambassador came to visit us on set that day. Um, it's Woody Guthrie, um, then, but yeah. this was actually sorry, pre- Woody, Woody Guthrie. What the <laughs> fuck? Sorry, the old one, the old cool one. Because it just seems strange. Was that it all cool? It was pre-Trump. So. Yeah, but okay. Obama's yeah. one no, was very cool. Yeah, he had he like Bell and Sebastian play it as official residents and whatever. He was just like, oh, oh. He was like the hip like a sad ambassador. Scotsman guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite an important. It felt like quite an important episode. Um, yeah, it was very Doctor Who, as we were discussing earlier. It's it's there's something in there for everyone. There was an EU episode, apparently, uh, which I am not familiar with. But yeah. Is that right? It's apparently the curse, according to producer Andrew, Doctor Who Brain, the curse of Peladon, where the planet Peladon joins the Galactic Federation and a nativist blood and soil priest, played by Giles Fraser, tries to, <laughs> s- <laughs> tries to stop it. <laughs> 
Giles Fraser, who is an amazing piece about uh, his party, said, let's invest less in cancer research and more in helping people to die. <laughs> that's incredible. Which is a well, bold, that's just God's well, way. That was a bold yeah. vision for the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> but one follows the other. That's, that's, <laughs> fucking if you do the first, there's really you no reason. You do the second, right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Anyway, not really Charles Fraser. But um, but yes, an allegory about Britain joining the con market. And Doctor Who's always had this, um, you know, this sort of recurring uh, habit of these kind of allegories. and Yeah, well, it's written and, by, you know... Uh, Writers who are part of the liberal elite, um, so so yeah, I think I think it's probably always had a well, it's always had a message of sort of peace and inclusion and and time travel. Um, so yeah, you wouldn't give it to like someone from you know Spiked or the Daily Mail, would you? What to write an episode like that would be a bold reinvention, wouldn't it? Be right wing doctor, right wing doctor. Do you know what's interesting? I, I was t- thinking about this when I did when I wrote my Edinburgh show last year. I was thinking it would be so it could because most art is left leaning <clears throat> by its very nature. I was like, it'd be really interesting to see a piece that was a right a more right-wing take on things because at the time there were lots of when mm. Trump got elected and Brexit happened there was a lot of talk about we're not listening to the right we're not listening to the disenfranchised we're, not, we're, we're driving these people to the right it's our fault and so I thought it would be interesting to write something that was and it's tricky you, you, more right-wing I suppose and, and then I sort of looked into it and what kind of art there is that exists that is right-wing and the only thing really they come up with are things like musicals because they're about the status quo and how it's great and, and you know a sort of conservative viewpoint <laughs> um, and and it's interesting because I, I went through a phase of blaming myself as a, as a liberal elitist person, uh, sort of going, "Well, it's my fault because I'm I'm I'm, I'm a snob about mm. about education, and uh, I, I think politi- I think political correctness is important." Um, and so I sort of went through a, a, a phase of self-flagellation where I was like, well, "Maybe I should be listening to the people and what they're saying." And now I've got to the point where. I think fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, fuck on that, I've been on that, been on that journey, journey myself. Yeah. But I think perhaps if we had the, you know, doc, the doctor on the, the, the planet of the snowflakes. Oh my <laughs> God, I hate that word so And much, just yeah. used like terribly, every planet he went on, he just used horribly abusive words for the, uh, for the populace. <laughs> and they're just like going, doctor, you can't say that. And he's just going, fuck it, free speech. <laughs> just like awful, offensive <laughs> terms. Yeah, and you can see why that wouldn't, wouldn't work. Yeah, Isn't, I mean the the point about sort of uh, particularly um, comedy, but but art more generally, as um, tending to to be more left wing. So it, things are funny when you are poking mm. fun at those in power with yeah. power in the establishment, and that is usually the right. You know, the Conservatives have dominated British politics for the last century. Um, and so it, it's just not very funny when you do right-wing humour yeah. because we're, we're intrinsically built to laugh at, at the thing that takes down those that have. No, I think you can. Although you can have really good jokes. If you think of the sorry, no, no, go on, go on. If you think of in um, the life of Brian, the whole People's Front of Judea, like a lot of the humour in that movie, particularly that point, is making fun of socialist groups, yeah. socialist groups in the seventies and unions and. Because they, you know, they they were they were quite um, they were quite powerful. They were comical. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. ma- doesn't make that a right wing movie, but there's certainly there is much humour to be had out of sort of poking fun at the the left. But I suppose, and that happens probably quite a lot in various places. But I think when something, if you're trying to think of something that is sort of self identifying as right wing, it's like right wing comedians, mm. where that whole thing is like being right wing. Yeah, it it sort of. 
that's when it seems to go wrong. Whereas it's quite it's quite fine to sort of make fun of aspects of the left, I think, within a greater body of work. Yeah, momentum, people do that a lot. I've noticed a lot of comedy was, was levelled at momentum for a while there, but hmm. I think you're right, because comedy should be about punching up, and if you're mm. if you're going, oh, PC gone mad, I can't make mm, fun of trans mm, people, mm, then it's mm, like, well, oh, no, you're, you're a dick. Yeah, you're a dick, and, and deal with it. <laughs> um, so, and, But I feel like that that's, you know, and Brexit is part of that, that whole culture of... PC gone bloody mad. If someone said PC gone mad, I know for a fact I will hate them and I will not get on with them. <laughs> it's quite weird, isn't it, that the two British main cultural exports are so distinct. There's like James Bond on the one hand, which I think is quite right wing, and mm. there's all this imperialist stuff and all this weird yeah. stuff around women, and he is like a, a scumbag. Like you wouldn't mm. want to sit down with the guy, even though yeah. you might like watching him do it. But most and of those films have aged really badly. <laughs> they have, yeah. But even, but I'll say even the, the more modern ones. When you look at them, mm. with, you, you can see them try to fix the fundamental thing. But the fundamental things that this Constant. character is supposed to do makes him almost impossible to, to fit into the modern thing. And then there's Doctor Who, who is like a superhero who never fights anyone and just runs away all the time and then tries to be a bit cleverer and fix it behind the scenes. He's super, super metropolitan elite on the side. It feels like the two, those two archetypes are quite distinct from each other. I, I describe it exactly that. James Bond is a, is a classic alpha male and Doctor Who is a classic beta male. And, and for me, beta males always should win and, and should... should I, I would like the country to be run by not beta, not just beta males, but beta females. Because I think, I, I think part of the problem. I, I've been, I, you know, I've read a lot of stuff now about Brexit, and, and what really makes me laugh is that a lot of the sort of um, the the people who instrumented it, the sort of the the, the people who pushed it, um, and wanted to see it succeed, are the kind of men who will read like Churchill autobiographies or <laughs> The Art of War by Sun Tzu. It's like, it's like these are men who want to be. This mm. alpha hero, mm. the, these, and it's, it is it is mainly men um, that have pushed this sort of mm. this this rhetoric of war and and you know the traitors and the saboteurs mm. and the will of the people. And it's just it's like it's pathetic. It's like you're trying to go back to this this golden age when Britain was r- dominated by these alpha men who sort of knew their minds. Um, and I feel like Brexit is, is sort of fulfilling almost the destinies of these men who wanted to be that kind of leader of, of a country that we're just not anymore we're not into we're not interested in we weren't anyway interested in that we were interested in a more inclusive uh, society mm. and that's all fallen by the wayside for, for now not just in britain obviously but it's happening in america as well isn't it yeah the dorian has this interesting i don't know if it was yours i think you nicked it from a vanity fair article but i can never tell the difference <laughs> so like then you have this you told me this thing when we we're backstage at the romanian live thing that actually sometimes like trump someone like trump happens and actually there's a sort of counter push which is everyone feels more of a need to do the other set of values mm-hmm. so you see stuff like the me too and you see like black lives matter yeah, yeah. which actually gets a new renewed sort of power to it because of the, the character of the people at the top was yeah. that your opinion, or did yeah, you? Yeah, no, I think right. I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> probably my opinion that I came out with my own brain. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem is, of course, is that Trump is so appalling, and there's so much kind of clear and present danger there that it's sort of the fact that it's like, like Me Too doesn't maybe not counterweight to the fact they might, you know, reverse Roe v. Wade or whatever. Mm. Mm. Like, mm. it's not as if like, oh, that's fine. You know, you don't end up like the kind of, well, at least there'll be some more good punk songs. <laughs> you know, that kind of the upside yeah, of appalling politics. Whatever. But no, I do think people, because they can't bring down Trump, are, are kind of expressing these values in other ways. And certainly the whole idea of, of kind of just liberals getting sort of louder and more adamant um, and really kind of thinking about their values and expressing them more strongly because they're under fire. I mean, that is a good thing, mm. even though I'd rather they weren't under fire. Mm. But 
you certainly kind of you, you feel like yeah. everybody's raising their voices and and shouldn't we have that voice that has been missing in our public discourse for decades and decades which is making the positive case for Europe the positive case for immigration the, the positive case for all of the values that we hold so dear but have been pretty apathetic in championing hmm. Finally, the return of Romaniac's book club. This time we're looking at V for Vendetta by Alan Moore and David Lloyd, the acclaimed comic series about a one-man rebellion in fascist Britain that ran between 1982 and 89. It was made into a much softer-centred movie in 2005, which was when the character V's famous Guy Fawkes mask took off as an emblem of worldwide protest. But the original comic series is much stronger and more complex stuff. Aspects of it seem dated by the end of the 90s, but now seem very relevant indeed. Ian and I read it ages ago, because we're nerds, and then me and Ingrid have just read it for the first time. Uh, Ian, briefly, capsule, doosh, what's it about? Uh, fascist Britain, there's a guy with Guy Fawkes mask, he's, you, you, you actually don't even really know if it's a guy, it might be anyone, because you never see the face. Does a kind of lyrical terrorist campaign against the forces of order, and things become increasingly murky as to his own motivations and values as the whole thing goes on. Naomi Ingrid, you came to this fresh. What were your first impressions? Can I ask, what's it, is, Naomi, is this the first comic you've ever read? Because I'm quite excited if it is. It is, isn't it? You look quite yes. angry. <laughs> is it the pictures? Is it the pictures? How do kids do it? You know, looking at pictures and reading, well, it's quite confusing. It took me longer than I thought, to be honest. I mean, I was, you know... Wishing I was back in the sea, sat on my sunbed trying to get through this thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I think my overriding response to the book is that, to be honest, it was probably more beef for boring than anything else. Um, I'm, yeah, sacrilege here. Um, but on the other hand, I kind get of found out. it really annoying because I sort of did think that he was a man. Uh, and it's basically just a story about this kind of weird person who abducts a girl, mm -hmm. and she is a girl that he's just rescued, she's only 16, slings her out when she asks questions he doesn't like, <laughs> and then when she returns, he holds her pretty much hostage, psychologically tortures her for her own good, and then she's all grateful to him in a kind of Stockholm Syndrome way and wants to carry on his work after he corks mm -hmm. it. So in that sense, I just think it's this sort of classic case of the abused uh, going on to abuse because he had been held hostage and tortured by the state... And then kind of more or less does the same to her. There's so, a suggestion that he sexually assaults her as well, which yeah. I hadn't spotted. Well, I mean, I on, just, this re, on this reread, she was like, oh, and I was inspected. You know, she yeah, would have been presuming yeah. things, and, which, which would have been him. Doing, yeah. There's spoilers, by the way, okay, so yeah. for oh. like a book that came Ooh. out 20, 30 years ago. So actually, I, that whole bit... Yeah, I mean, just it, read it, it, it's like, supposed Jesus, to act as a kind of like Handmaid's Tale warning about patriarchal, patriarchal power. But for me, I just think it was ruined by V's behaviour towards Evie. Um, and all of the women are actually really hypersexualized in the whole thing uh, to a really absurd degree um, are made into kind of permanent willing victims um, all the women have sex all of them appear naked at some point and very very few if, if any of the men mm. do um, so yeah didn't love it <laughs> Ingrid come on bring it up bring it back up yeah I have to say I agree pretty much word for word with Naomi there because I, I that's exactly what I thought I find it very hard to get past things now that have got women just with mm. tits out and also the fact that she was a 16 year old girl and wanted to have sex with yep. the main character V it's like oh god, and then it, then it feels like male wish fulfillment again, mm. and then it, and whatever he's saying, which is probably which is very important about politics, mm. you just go oh, but you're just a man in a in mm. your dressing gown at home, just right drawing a comic book. Um, <laughs> but I do, I did find I just to, apart from that, I did find uh, the whole discussion around uh, the law and the judicial system. 
uh, quite interesting. Again, she was a woman with her boobs out. Mm-hmm. She was a ju- in in the comic book. Uh, the, the law of justice is represented by a statue. You know, um, the statue like the statue the of liberty lady. with the mm-hmm. boobs out. And she, I think she had boobs out, or maybe I was imagining it at that point. Um, <laughs> and he sort of he sort of has an impassioned monologue at her, um, saying, "You betrayed me, you whore." Uh, you slept with, you know, Jack, uh, Nazi soldiers with Jack, wearing jack boots. So the idea that law, the, the idea that we, I, I always thought before Brexit, before Trump, that law was this sort of absolute. It was a thing that I could have faith in, checks and balances, and all of that. And that you know, whatever happened, at least we had those in place. But since this has all happened, I think that's shaken my fundamental belief in in, in justice, as it were, um, and. And especially in America, you know, with is it uh, Judge uh, Justice Kennedy mm. who recently resigned? Well, we don't know what happened. There's murky, yeah. you know, things in the background. Whether he was sort of asked very politely to resign so that Trump could put his own stooge in place, and and you sort of go, oh God, this democracy is so fragile, um, and that. Well, yeah, the, yeah. The, the context. I think the the the. the um, the kind of dystopian trope, which I think actually now seems a little uh, naive or unnecessary, and it's in quite a lot of dystopias, is the idea that in order to get uh, a kind of dramatic turn to the right, you would have to have a nuclear war. Mm. Like in this, what happens is that Thatcher loses the 83 election, Labour gets in, uh, Labour unilaterally disarms, which means that when a nuclear war breaks out, Britain is untouched by the bombs, but is affected by the... um, all the kind of climatological stuff and mm. refugees and stuff. So it basically becomes this kind of paranoid, starving fortress state. And then this party, Norse Fire, comes in with the slogan, Make Britain Great Again, <laughs> which is one of those things where when I read it, I was like, oh. Uh, that's where they got it. And I thought that they, there was, the, I thought its depiction of a very sort of very British fascism was excellent, that it was distinctly English. That you had the kind of, you know, the jack boots and certain you know, the flag, certain imported things from the continent. But in, in a lot of ways, it's like a very believable British version of fascism. Apart from, we've decided that the gender politics are not mm. classic. But <laughs> what about the, the depiction of Norsefire? Can I quickly, on the gender politics, <clears throat> I, 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 he, he's weird, he's really weird on gender because he's got lots of other works which are very, very feminist, and you, you see that he's concerned about it. If you look at the way that the male characters look at the female characters, for instance, the wife of the dead sort of politician, mm-hmm. they're always leering at, so there's that, he's, he's sort of aware of the male gaze and, mm-hmm. and is capable of seeing it from their perspective rather than the males. But he does have almost no way of looking at women that is outside of their sexual function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even when it's the yeah. woman who has power, the husband is sort of portrayed as this kind of like sort of, what do, what do those right wing guys say? The, um, cuck. the cuck, yeah, the, the sort of cuck, crawling cuck that, you know, all of that. that he, he, he doesn't seem able to look at them in any other way, even when he's trying to make them strong. And it, and it creates this incredibly weird dynamic around gender that you sort of think, oh, it's all a bit mucky around here and I feel like some of it's getting on my clothes. Well, that's the way in which the film mm-hmm. improves. Oh, it does, because but it still has that fundamental. Better... But it still has that fundamental problem. In fact, he kidnaps the he kidnaps the the, the you know Evie. So mm. that was difficult. I, I you know what I think the, the portrayal of British fascism is okay. I, I I think it's hard because Children of Men I think had a much more convincing portrayal. It's a, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It, yeah, I felt more real. Even then, by the way, I thought Children of Men again. They they had to do this thing with there would have to be a fertility crisis for us to yeah. get there. And I think honestly now I just think nah, you wouldn't need shit. You don't you don't need that kind of crisis to get yeah. to where we're going to go. <laughs> I beg your pardon to we've get got, to where we could go. We've got. Um, climate change for that. Yeah. What resonated, a line that, the bit that really resonated with me in, in the book was when he's doing a broadcast to British people and he's basically putting a lot of the blame on them. Yeah, yeah, he's that's giving them an ultimatum. Because yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the difference between the, the really smart dystopias and the more 
sort of simplistic ones. Mm. In the simplistic ones, it's like the baddies are in charge, and if you only got rid of the baddies, everything would be fine because people are fine. Mm. And in this, it has unfortunately that, which is more of a position that I've come to, particularly mm. looking at America mm. now. It's just like a lot of people are not fine. No. A lot of people are totally up for this, yeah. mm. and they do not need the iron heel no. on top of them to to give in to these kind mm. of like xenophobic nativist violent mm. urges mm. and i suppose that was the i think that's that's the difference between the sort of the weirdly consoling dystopias where it's just like if you just bring down the guys on top and the ones which actually just go look we create this we bring this stuff on and it might take a crisis yeah. to precipitate it but it's in us it, it's so it's ideas around anarchism which w was a sort of philosophy that i sort of helped me go from being a twatty middle-class communist to being a liberal was through anarchism really and so lots of those ideas I was quite on at the mm. time but they come from this it's not exactly very sort of you know James Scott or even Bakunin or even Chomsky sort of stuff it, it's all that kind of more like the land of do as you please and the Alistair Crowley you know do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law kind of stuff which is this kind of poetic really really popular with men in their 20s who have long beards and have done too much drugs sort of attitude of like, no, we'll just break open the, the foundations and off we go. And the yeah. funny part is, I met quite a few of those kids, sort of stuff, when the Trump things were happening. And quite often they would be quite pro-Trump. Yeah. Not because they yeah, liked him, they were far yeah, too snooty yeah. for that, but they were just like, we just need to shake up the system. You know, yeah. we just got yeah. to kick stuff around a little bit. And it's We've made me more wary like of that, yeah, that bit. <laughs> you say just that be, with this really be, jaded be really, look. Just you know? <laughs> never date one. It's <laughs> 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 so a man again. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah, it's usually men. <laughs> anyway, V for Vendetta is E for excellent. <laughs> Read it today, and I think we all agree. <laughs> no, thanks, everyone. Um, we're approaching the end of the show, which means it's time to open the Brexit time capsule, where we store the things that we're going to miss if we leave the EU, the things we might need if we're out on our own. Ian, it's your turn again. What's going on in the time capsule? Basically, what I want to put in the Brexit time capsule is our notion of the individual. And that's usually been co-opted a lot by the right as this quite sort of right-wing view. It means that you basically don't have to give away any of your money anymore and blah, 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 blah. In actual fact, the, the notion of the individual is this sort of safeguard against the tyranny of the majority sign that John Stuart Mill warned about a long, long time ago. And since that referendum result, and it was not really happening before, we see repeated references, constant references to the will of the people. Every time that comes up, that is a way of bludgeoning you into obedience, bludgeoning you into just doing what you're told and shutting up. Because, of course, there is no will of the people. Because people are infinitely varied and individual. And Berto Erko wrote about this when he talked about fascism um, in the mid-1990s. Of anyone that claims to be doing that is, by their nature, a little mini tyrant. And the fact that that kind of rhetoric has come into our discourse... That is the main thing I'd like to take away, the, the way that we used to think, that is mm. gradually and slowly being chipped away at as we enter into this new period. Fuck, that's depressing. Well, Sorry. That's it hasn't no like that. yeah. This so is the sad. saddest time capsule in the world. <laughs> I, I didn't put the whole of the UK in. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so big also. Um, Ingrid, your, your uh, show, Speech, was addressed Brexit. Brexit? Brexit. Um, is that, uh, have you done, have you milked all the comedy that you can from this particular subject? Or know, will there be more? Do you know what's so funny? Because I, so after Brexit, uh, yeah, I, I wrote this, a show which centred around this Brexit sketch. And then I did, um, you know, Matt Ford, I presume Matt Ford, yep. uh, who mm. does an excellent political show called Unspun. Um, and I, I was uh, seconded into doing some Brexit sketches on that as a playing a civil servant uh, for De in Dexiu. Um, 
which was a lot of fun. Um, it was like a thick of it, fly on the wall type documentary in, in, in the yeah in Dexu, and um, and now I'm doing this. So this is, all my work post Brexit has been Brexit related, and it's, it's it's I will only do Brexit related work from now on. Same. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of merch. It's all I'm interested there, in. I've turned stuff down because it, it hasn't had Brexit stuff in it. I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm fighting the good fight, people. Yeah. Do you have, um, yeah. Yeah. So, if, if, do you have the power to just get them to rewrite, rewrite scripts? They go, well, I really enjoyed that that new and good Oliver drama. It's quite weird. Quite the five Brexit. minute monologue about quite Brexit. Brexit. It's quite Brexity, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I quite, considering it was set in the Middle Ages. Well, it's interesting. I, 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 it's, it's become. It's got to the point where I genuinely all my Twitter. I my Twitter which used to be about other stuff, is now entirely Brexit-related. So all, all any Doctor Who fans who are following me, I've just slowly seen the numbers <laughs> drop off. And they're like, oh, God, I, we get it. You're, you're anti-Brexit. Um, and, and I think, good, I'm glad I've weaned you out, because if you're not interested in, in Brexit, then I'm not interested in you. <laughs> um, so it's slightly taken over my life in a, in a bit of a weird way. Um, but I'm, I'm still at the point, I'm still frustrated because I don't know. To the point where I'm like, do I become an MP? What do you do? Because I can't, I feel like I can't do anything. Mm. Uh, apart from tweets, and that's that seems. And come on, pod- and come chat on with podcast. me afterwards. We will <laughs> yeah. get there. To we be a spokesperson yeah. for Best of Britain. Yeah, gladly. We'll, um, we'll, we'll I speak fluent German and Italian, so if that's any use. Um, well, in the meantime, yeah. you can you can serve the cause uh, by saying something in German for our listeners fluently, unlike when I try and do another language and offend people. Anything in particular, or just something of just my... a good uplifting message. You can either go uplifting message yeah. about Europe or. Abusive message about Mog and Co. So it's up to you. Um, uh, viele Grüße aus Deutschland. Wir sind stärker zusammen. Don't know why I did it like that. Did <laughs> <laughs> it in a really weird M&S way. Um, lots of love from Germany. We're stronger together. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming in, Ingrid. And that's the end of the show. Now close the curtains so the ear can't hear you playing Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, our theme tune, or the roll call of our subversive Patreon backers. Thank you very much to Philip Dunkel, Amy Smith, Nikki Neighbour and James Dixon. And thanks from me to Jamie Thomas, Kieran O'Brien, Steve Bartholomew and Julia Day. And thanks from me to Claudia Hutchings, Matthew Amos, Daniel Bates and John Moore. We'll see you next week. presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith and Ian Dunst. Studio production was by Sophie Black and the producer was me, Andrew Harrison. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production.